0: everyone and welcome to turning a moment into a movement i am jay love your host i represent the justice for gerard movement also um gerard is my son who was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he didn't do he went to prison and served two years in the michigan department of corrections for that crime innocent and in prison and so because of that experience with gerard we created this platform called Turning a Moment into a Movement, where we come on every Friday at 6 p.m. and we bring awareness to run for convictions, injustice, and important topics that are really relevant to our community. So thank you for joining us and welcome. Um, I want to say also give a shout out to those that are watching on YouTube as well as Twitter. Hello. And also, my Facebook friends uh, and all those that are members of the Justice for Gerard group on Facebook, I wanna say hello to you guys as well. And I also wanna let you know before we get started that if you would like to reach us, uh, have a conversation, or you wanna join in on the panel, or even come on to um, tell your story, please go to turn in a moment into a movement at gmail.com again that's turning a moment at gmail a turning a moment into a movement at gmail.com and um send us an email and we will get with you soon so um while we're waiting for um all the panel members to come on i would like to oh bring on um Edward hello
1: hello and good evening um uh, um Jay love and audience
0: um introduce yourself Edward and tell them everyone what it is that you do
1: my name is Edward Sanders I go by the name of Baraka um I am uh, um uh, practicing um, paralegal I'm formerly employed with Washington County prosecutors um conviction integrity an expungement unit and while incarcerated myself i acted as a jailhouse attorney for uh, my fellow um, uh, um prisoners for um, you know residents of the facilities <laughs> uh, and um since i've been home I, I you know use my um my voice to take and advocate around criminal justice um, um abolition as well as reform yeah. abolition is my first um reflection the game um, when it can't be abolished then i look at where it may um be reformed to take and bring about less harm that is caused by the um thing and thank you
0: thank you and i also see who i haven't seen in a while ali hey hello hi <laughs> hey. How are you? Doing good. How are you doing? I'm great. Introduce yourself and tell everybody what it is that you're doing.
2: Yes, uh, my name is Alexandria. I'm a um, community organizer uh, for work. I work for uh, Mission Liberation as a Supreme Court organizer, uh, basically educating and uh, participating in research with community members so they can know about the Supreme Court, whether the state or the U.S. Supreme Court and um also organizing around mental health and uh human rights issues um so right now i'm more in detroit uh folks know mental health and yeah happy to be here
0: yeah so you've been busy um <laughs> super busy what, what you been up to ali um you well, we uh-huh. got
2: some stuff going on yeah um lately as of late um now the election's over, so things are slowing down a bit. Uh, you know, during the election, it was all about educating people on our state Supreme Court and keeping them up to date on what's happening with the U.S. Supreme Court. And it's 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 a lot happening there. And I really just want people to understand how that's probably a more important seat than our president. Um, some would argue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have to be ahead of the game when it comes to the Supreme Court because they have a lifetime seat. Even the Supreme Court has an eight year seat. And um, we got the first uh, Black Supreme Court justice, female justice, the first Black woman um, justice for Michigan, 14th woman to sit on the Michigan Supreme Court. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, that's amazing. Um, and, you know, her qualifications match as well. Uh, you know, I did a lot of town halls and, and organizing around education uh, about her. And, you know, the good part is that it's not just the representation piece. Her education and qualifications also meet that as well. So that is, that is nice to know. Um, other than that, I've just been in Detroit. Um, and honestly, supporting on a lot of surveillance, uh, policing surveillance initiatives and mental health initiatives with a coalition of others. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you saw but the shots technology being expanded into Detroit. Uh, we were in countless co- council meetings with multiple other groups pushing for that to not be uh, expanded and originally it was going to come from COVID funding, COVID uh, ARPA funds to be clear. And they changed that and said, okay, let's take it from the police fund, which is still not good because even in the ShopSpotter company policy it says it does not decrease crime. You know, it, it, it says that. So, um, you know, it, that was expanded, unfortunately, but we are making strides on mental health um, in terms of um, non-police, um, unarmed mental health mobile response teams. So uh, that is, uh, I'm hopeful for that. Mm-hmm. And um, there is some support, so we shall see where that goes
0: so i have I'm in my feelings about uh shot Spotter, <laughs> yeah, the speaker in the sky that everybody is depending on to save the day. um, I see that um I was reading that the Detroit Justice Center has a lawsuit about that,
2: yes, they do um there's a lawsuit, um, and the claim on their end is that they're you know. There's an ordinance that they're in violation of is their claim. um, I'll need to look at the exact name of the ordinance, uh, but it is pertaining to technology surveillance and transparency when presenting those things and informing the community. And there's a certain timeline, you must do that under that ordinance. Mm -hmm. Instead of just passing things and not informing people, not bringing the experts, not... there There was us bringing information at meetings saying why they shouldn't have it. There was them pushing back, there was no... Experts or anything they brought, particularly to say why I should be there to inform the community. And under that ordinance, the the claim from Detroit Justice Center that they violated that, mm-hmm. so that is pending um, right now. And um, yeah, with ShotSpotter, Spotter it wasn't. It, it it was it wasn't uh, it was us just presenting information. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think about transparency. Um, and especially with surveillance, and that's in general just a violation to your community. Um, so this is really, it's about holding them accountable to the community.
0: Exactly. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Alexandria. I'm so glad you're here. I'm looking forward to your input on tonight's conversation. Dion said it's a waste of money, <laughs> the shot spider. Yeah. It is eight million dollars.
3: Mm-hmm. Hi, Rabbitia. Well, hello there. How's everybody this evening? All is well. I'm so glad to to make it in. I had was held up a bit. I gotta fix my lighting, but uh, <laughs> other than that, I'm good. Uh, just glad to be here and talking about this subject. You know, um, you know, being out here with social justice and taking time to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do personally. Um, Right now, I know we have an event coming up through Michigan Coalition of Human Rights at Wayne State, and it's a collaborative effort. We're talking about the same issues. Um, And it's time to hold people accountable. I am not only ministering, but also trying to allow people to, or give people the information to understand that they put a divide between us so that we don't stand on anything, Mm -hmm. so that we don't come together. And I'm encouraging people not to take a side, but just to look at the facts and choose what is right. Choose what is going to make a difference in our community. $8 million is a lot of money. I know we could do something different with that money. I know we can. Yes,
0: <laughs> I'm sure so we. Thanks can. for having mm-hmm. me on tonight. Thank you, Rivetia. So we have a guest. So um, clear, let me see. Oh, go ahead,
2: Allie. Well, oh, I was going to just say really quick. It's the name of the ordinance. Um, I found it. It's um, the community input um, over government surveillance ordinance. Just wanted to mention that to be clear. Oh,
0: okay. Thank you. Um. Oh yeah, I see it in your. Um, <laughs> All right, so let's see. If Attorney Mac is Attorney Mac.
4: Hello. Can you hear me?
0: Yes.
4: Okay. Um. Uh, <laughs> I apologize. Uh, not Hi. able to. Uh... Hello. No, go ahead. You're
0: good,
4: Attorney. Okay. Mac. I apologize. Don't have my picture on right now. You know, Batman has got his secret underground enclosure. <laughs> I have mine too. So for the benefit and safety of my colleagues, I cannot show my face right now. So, But I will be joining you all uh, face to face very soon. Uh, Hugo Mack, uh, attorney at law, did not parachute down from heaven to be with you, but came up from hell through Jesus Christ to be with you. Amen? You know? So I believe in justice. That's why I ran for Washington County prosecutor in 2020. I know what it's like to pay a debt that's not old. I know what it's like to be disbarred. I know what it's like to lose everything. And I know what it's like to spend 12 years where people telling me what to do and when to do it and almost how to do it. But coming out from that situation with integrity and I thank God for that. So I'm dedicated to the fight for justice, to the plight of the wrongfully convicted and we are every much a victim as somebody who had the house broken into Somebody been carjacked somebody who been assaulted. We are every bit the victim as those poor souls, you know mm-hmm. So my responsibility for the rest of my life is to bring exposure To not only the wrongfully convicted, but the overly convicted, yeah. you know the overly convicted mm-hmm. so I'm always put in my plug and J love oh. ain't kicking me off the show yet. <laughs> when you find yourself on trouble Boulevard, the police and the prosecutors behind.
0: Uh Oh, <laughs> Tony Mac got kicked off on Mac street, but anyway, <laughs> uh, attorney Mac, www.hmatlaw.com www.hmatlaw.com <laughs> He will be back, Um, but while he's gone, we're going to bring in our guests as well. Hello, Thomas.
5: Good evening. Good evening. How is everybody?
0: All right. How are you?
5: I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I was going to say they they got him right out of there. He was getting ready to spill the beans and (laughs) got him right out of the scene, huh? Yeah.
0: So introduce yourself, Thomas, and tell us everything that you do, because you do a lot. So,
5: Well, I'm Thomas Freemy. Um, I'm down here in Tampa, Florida. I have a podcast, um, which you can just sim- simply Google Thomas Freemy to, to get all those platforms. But more importantly, I have a, a foundation, which is called Coming Home Coalition. And um, I'm just coming at things differently. I, I've been incarcerated most of my life, uh, in and out. Uh, since I was 13, 14 years old, juvenile to prison, out to federal prison. Um, I got out six years ago, and and the federal system really opened my eyes to. It just ripped the covers off everything that I knew to be true, but didn't want to believe until it was put in my face, and it, it was just um it was life changing for me. So, 24/7 I'm in this now because. I don't know how to put it any other way. This is this is slavery, and I'm trying to get people to understand that this is slavery. So that that is that is what I'm doing. That's who I am.
0: Yes, and you have a great podcast on many platforms. Um, I
5: appreciate that. Thank you. Yes, Meryl.
0: Can you tell us all the platforms that you're on?
5: I'm on Apple, uh, the Apple Spotify. Um, Pandora, iHeartRadio, like I said, if you just Google Thomas Free Me as one word, Free Me, all my platforms will come up, and you could just choose. But my hub is is YouTube, of course.
0: Yes. So check Thomas out. What days do you come on?
5: So I go live with uh, Demetrius Knucklesil on Thursday nights at um at 8 p.m. with Thursday night Get Right, and then I go Saturday night, uh, Saturday night Cell Block. And that's at 8 p.m. as well, Eastern.
0: All right, guys. So make sure you check out Thomas, our guest today. And um, we're going to start the conversation. Um, I see attorney Mac is back, but I really. um, I'm going to bring him in. Attorney Mac, you back?
4: Yes, ma'am. Can you hear me?
0: Yes. I hear you well. Okay. Okay. I finished you off, and I love know that you was on Max Street and um, how to get.
4: <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> hey, look, I've I've always counted on the kindness of my people to carry me through hard times.
0: Yes, <laughs> we got your back, <laughs> Attorney Back. <laughs>
4: okay, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm with you now. I'm with you.
0: Okay, cool. Before we get started, Attorney Matt Edward has something that he wanted to bring to our attention so go ahead edward and then we're going to get on the subject
1: and, and first i want to um also thank uh or congratulate um ali uh for her new role with um michigan liberation uh, with, um taking important on the mission supreme court and that's exactly what i want to make a comment in regards of mm-hmm. uh, the Supreme Court justice um, that have just been appointed by the governor. Um, this work is very important and it will serve us to have someone like Elliot who, um, and as opposed to our media and others who have um, different interests, they give misconceptions and misinformation and allow us to not be informed about our government. And um, there's been comment uh, comments in regards uh, to the qualification of this appointment, and um, there's one uh, media personality that's pointing to the fact that this particular appointment appointee has never sat in a trial court. Well, that's not a qualification to sit on the Michigan Supreme Court, and um, the public should take and understand that each of our venues in terms of the the levels of our courts from our trial court to our appellate court which is normally referred to as an intermediary court because it's in in between the trial court or supreme court Um, each one of them have a different criteria as to how they take and make decisions the the trial court obviously take and do just that they hear trial matters um and in fact there is a section that here pre-trial matters before it gets over to the trial court and those matters are, are, are taken care of um in, in in another um part of the court that is cut off from the trial court they take all of the pre-trial matters from um, arraignment to preliminary examinations to um conferences between the prosecutor and the defense and taking a try to negotiate um, different arguments about what evidence should be allowed in the proper charges um, the jury instructions etc before it even get over to the trial court. sometimes the trial court may revisit some of those decisions but in any case the matter from the trial court, you don't have a right to a judge in a trial court. You have a right to a jury trial. Anytime a judge taking sit in judgment of you is that the judge is taken and um, using discretion. Your right to a jury trial is in the Constitution, not the right to a bench trial. That's a discretionary right. And even the, the matters that are heard in a trial court is not... <laughs> is not replicated in the appellate court or the supreme court appellate court what we refer to as intermediary court takes and hears um if you raised issues and you raised those issues timely and correctly by articulating exactly what you were complaining about the appellate court would take and hear those issues and kind of referee um um you know uh, uh, um uh, what they call monday uh, uh morning uh, quarterback but the Supreme Court doesn't do that. The Supreme Court would not hear ordinary arguments that he raised in a trial court. The Supreme Court here issues relevant to the state's legislative schemes, the statutes that govern our laws. And in addition to that, and more important, they take, or just as equally important, they take a look at arguments around the state's constitution. Okay, these are the issues they, they look at, so they don't take and refile uh, 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 the case. In fact, most of the issues, if not all of the issues that most plaintiffs normally raise in a trial court, if they've been if they've been resolved in the court of appeals, more likely, and you come up to the Supreme Court, nine out of ten they won't hear most of those issues, unless you point out to them that you have issues that directly affect. The, 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 um, the legislative scheme and or the state and or US Constitution. And the only reason that they are listening to your arguments about the US Constitution is, is that they want to try at it. They want their opportunity to answer any claims that your constitutional rights from, um, in terms of the US Constitution was violated. They want a chance to be able to correct it before you go off into the federal court and have the federal court to do it. So this is a difference. And if for a person that don't understand that, they'll say, oh, this person didn't practice law, never held a, a, a court proceedings that are irrelevant. You are never taken address those type of issues. And, um, and it's a shame that most of our constitutional issues presently, or most of the issues that are heard in our um, Supreme Court, Tend to take and be issues around business, you know. It tend to be economic issues. They're more concerned with issues that affect a, a um a minority of people's businesses than they are issues relevant to our human and our civil rights. Okay, that's what we need to take and have focus. And this particular uh, appointee has a very unique background, where her in the manner in which she lost her father. And that lived experience is very important to, to, to the rest of us who have common experience like that, who, who takes and wake up every day and see loved ones, members of our community that are killed in the street. Why are we were watching it on camera and we are told to disregard it? Don't believe our lying eyes. More cameras, and it's ironic that we putting up all these cameras that mm-hmm. they're going to ask us to ignore when it takes a show what the hell they doing. So thank you. I appreciate that very much. And uh, let's get on with the show. All right.
0: Allie, you had a few things that you were saying. Go ahead before we get.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm saying. Um, so there's never been anyone with le- legislative experience to sit on the Michigan Supreme Court, meaning until now, until Kyra Bolden meaning that there's never been any one experience with experience drafting policy uh, pertaining to a community, getting feedback from a community about policy uh, and, and, and how to move forward on that policy. Uh, as, a lawmaker, that is, as a lawmaker, that is you know key to what they do. So having that on the Supreme Court is significant because, yes, the Supreme Court makes decisions that greatly affect our lives, but they don't, have the experience of communicating with the public uh, to the degree that, um, you know, elected officials have to, um, or just to get votes, you know, it's not the same process, they're insulated, they're protected, they're shielded. Uh, Whereas an elected official, you know, you could go and see them at different events during election season, like there's so many ways. And, and, you know, and so that is significant. uh, Because you know, strangely enough um, to have justices that don't have that legislative experience, but they're making decisions on things like reproductive rights is, is really like, I don't understand it, um, but uh, I think this would turn the tide on that. I'll also say um, there is a uh, diversity equity inclusion commission that was uh, established um, last year in June or oh, no, it's not last year, it's about to be this year in June. <laughs> this year in June it was established. Um, it's 26 people that sit on that of different various backgrounds. Um, the co-chairs is uh, Justice Elizabeth, Elizabeth Welsh and appeals court um, judge Cynthia Stevens. Uh, it hasn't gone active yet in terms of duties. They are developing um, what issues that they'll pursue. Uh, pertaining to the Supreme Court and courts under the court. Um, and, you know, they're supposed to uh, become, like, active and start holding meetings next year. So that'll be interesting to see uh, what comes of that um, and how that changes the courts.
0: All right. Thank you, Allie. So let's get on with the meat and the potatoes. <laughs> innocent, a guilty, not guilty versus innocent your innocence is not a defense. So when I first me when I first heard that I heard it when I was advocating for Gerard, I think he'd probably been in there a few months and I was advocating and I was told that innocence was a defense and I was just like what are you talking about, you know? And 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 so once I started understanding and studying and looking at it from um a court point of view I get it and so today because I see you know we have so many uh in our communities that are advocating for loved ones that are wrongfully convicted we need to understand guilty uh not guilty versus innocence and why innocence is not um a defense it's attorney Matt back so we're gonna go ahead with this conversation I'm gonna start with you Edward and then we're gonna go to Thomas
4: I'm here here can you hear me
0: oh okay you hear I I was waiting for you to switch over to your other device are you switching over attorney Matt all right go ahead Edward
1: Okay, we are talking about the idea or the concept, concerns around innocence. And the first thing I would like to point out is that the Mur, uh, the Mur Act has nothing to do with innocence.
4: I'm coming across as an echo.
0: You're not even coming across. We didn't hear you talk, talking at all, Attorney Matt. I'm gonna kick a kick and tiny neck. Uh, go ahead, Edward.
1: Okay, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, when we talk about innocent or guilt, we should never concentrate on the simple um active self. An active self is not innocent or guilt, it has nothing to do with innocent guilt, it's just that it's an act, it's an act, and most of our natural um inclination to take an ask why is a proper thing we normally when we hear about um, behavior we normally say why why did the person do that well actually that's a proper that's the that's the proper thing to do to make an inquiry and what the law does it takes an inquire about the what is called the men's rape uh men's rape and this is not a common term it's a term that's used in law and i believe it's latin and um uh, 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 attorney Matt can correct me when he come on but i believe it's latin and uh mens rea uh, refers to the intent the intent of the person you know so because a person can commit an act and not necessarily have the same intent that it appears from your perspective so they inquire into the person's intent it becomes one of the elements of the crime and these are uh, components that are put into um, the the inquiry by state legislators for example and state courts interpret what the legislator may have meant and how it applies so um, again this shows also the qualifications of this um justice that we were just talking about but this is an inquiry and sometimes we don't know our perception of the other person is subjective. Is subjective, it's never objective. So what we try to do is listen to all of the evidence that we have, the circumstances and the situation in which the person committed a particular act. And then we try to even get the person to explain to us why they done what they did, et cetera. Um, and so we can try to arrive at it, an objective, uh, uh, evaluation of what had occurred and so not only and not only is the question uh mens rea important but also culpability mm-hmm. culpability uh, none of us take and try to get out of harm i mean try to get out of responsibility by pointing out that somebody allowed the child to get away with it you know adult doesn't say hey but you let you let joey do it you know and joy is like a child and you adult because and the reason we don't allow adults to get away with things that we don't hold children accountable for is because the two of them have different not only men's race but culpability even if they even if the child had the intent i want to hurt you i want to kill you you know that the child's culpability isn't equal to that of the adult because the lack of maturity of the child. The child is still developing, and he may want to kill you in terms of his vocabulary, but we know that the child hasn't even grasped yet what life and death is. He don't realize that life, or she, that life is permanent. It's not what you see on the cartoons where everybody is shooting each other and they get back up and move around. It's a permanent reality. And so we don't hold children accountable the way we do adults, or at least we didn't for a long time. But we got all of this mixed up because of our biases. Our biases constantly push us in the heat of the moment to push away the idea of men's rape. It causes us to push away the idea of culpability. And that open this conversation up with, and thank you. All right,
0: Thomas. Thomas
5: free me. <laughs> yes, ma'am. So <clears throat> I mean that's he he articulated it to the T and that's that's pretty much it is is the, there's there's a system that's put in place where these legislators they create these tests or prongs and and each phase of, of your trial process has to meet these certain tests or prongs and mens rea is is one of them. Um, innocence has no, no, no standard in, in the courtroom. It it has nothing, it's, it has nothing to do with the courtroom. Can you guys hear me?
0: Yes, you're fine.
5: Okay. So it has nothing to do with the courtroom and its process. It's, it's just, um, it's, it's moot, as they would say, it's, it's not a defense. There's, there's, you can't go into the court and say that you're innocent. That's not even a plea. It's, it's not guilty. You know, so it's, it's, um, when it comes to the two, for me, you know, then we're, we're, we're talking philosophically, what's the difference between not guilty and innocence? Mm -hmm. You know, we have these, these guys that are getting out because in, in the appellate procedure now, you have, uh, actual innocence that you can claim on, on, you know, you know, when you file with the governor or whatnot, you can file for actual innocence. And and what that is, it's it's a complete different standard. And and to prove innocence in court would be a hundred times harder than it would be to prove not guilty. You know, not guilty is just is just one of the twelve have to not concur with with the rest of the jury. And that could be lack of profession on, on the prosecutor, lack of evidence, there could be many, many things that occur within that not guilty verdict, but that does not mean that that individual is innocent. It just means that they didn't provide enough of the standard to, to find this individual guilty. And, and that's the same with individuals that are coming out of out of prison, being found not guilty on, on wrongful convictions and such. That necessarily doesn't mean that the individual was innocent. that just means that somewhere along that line, there was an unconstitutionality that occurred that allowed for this individual to be not guilty, be it through the jury process or the appellate process. So that's pretty much all I have really with the the innocents or not guilty.
0: Mm -hmm. Attorney Mack is back.
4: Once again, much apologies. Can you hear me clearly now? Yes, you're great. All right, all right. Um, I because of my technical difficulties, I did not get to hear everything that everyone said. So um, I don't know if I concur or not with what mm-hmm. I heard. Some of the things I heard, I don't quite concur with. I think that's not quite accurate. So let me let me give you what the what the deal is, and if it's repetitive, I apologize. No, no
0: problem.
4: Innocence is not in- Innocence is not a defense, it's a presumption, all right? There's a difference between a presumption and a defense. For example, if you're charged with assault and battery, okay, self-defense is a defense to an assault and battery charge, okay? A defense has got to be asserted. So, for example, if you're charged with assault and battery, you and every other person in this country has got a right just to sit there. You don't have to make an opening statement. You don't have to put on evidence. You don't have to rebut anything. You don't have to testify. You don't have to do anything. And that is because you are presumed innocent. And it irks me every time I hear people, particularly my people, talk about, well, I got to get in court, man. You know, I'm going to prove my innocence. That's wrong. That's wrong. You are automatically putting a burden on yourself that you should not put on. Mm-hmm. So any time a person gets in the court and says, I'm going to prove my innocence, they put themselves behind the eight ball to begin with. Because when you try to put yourself against the state of Michigan and you're saying, I'm going to prove my innocence, you've already, gotten, you've already lost 90% of the fight. So that's the first thing. Innocence is a presumption to be upheld. So, for example, in my jury selection, in my, my void dire, I am sure to have the judge hold the jury after that they've been seated and ask them, if you had to render a verdict right now in this case, what would it be? And every one of those jurors, if they understand the law, is supposed to say not guilty, because that's right. You're Mm -hmm. presumed not guilty coming into it. And that presumption of not guilty stays with you all throughout the trial. You never lose it, you know? And, and, and I try to lecture people on this all the time. Don't you dare take off that cloak, that mantle of not guilty. Don't you dare start acting like you have got to prove your innocence. That is not true. People can read body language. People can, can, can read you, you know? So, so now what happens is, as you all know, that presumption of innocence stays there Unless and until the state proves beyond not a reasonable doubt, but beyond any reasonable doubt, that each and every element of the offense has been established, okay, mm-hmm. that each and every element, uh, you know, uh, has ha- ha- has been proven beyond a reasonable doubt. So the thing of it is, is that what's so important for people is to realize that. So when when a person most people are panicked and 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 concerned in a trial they say well I want to tell the jury I'm innocent. Okay, okay, that's fine. That's fine. But you've got to do more than that. Once you voluntarily talk about in front of the jury, I'm innocent, then you put the the whole array into into effect. So the other thing that I utilize as a criminal defense attorney is is this. And I think one of the other uh speakers spoke about this. There's a difference between innocence and not guilty. If you notice, and you know I lecture juries on this all the time, the verdict is not innocent or not innocent. There's a reason for that. The verdict is guilty or not guilty. Because the truth of the matter is 99.99% of the people that are charged, they were at least these there or in the area, okay? I mean, there are people that simply are victims of mistaken identity. They weren't anywhere near that. But 99.9% of the time, they were in the area or, or somehow involved. So when people talk about, well, I'm innocent, well, no, you may not be innocent. You know, you may be in the wrong place at the wrong time. You may be under the influence of drugs. You may be under the influence of somebody else. You may be pissed off at something. There may be something that you did to contribute to being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It doesn't mean you committed a crime. It just means you're there in the wrong place at the wrong time. So anytime I have a client that wants me to tell the jury I'm innocent, I'm innocent, that's a big mistake. Because when people look at innocence, they want to see you were in Utah. When, when when the crime occurred that's what they want to see if you start letting them talk about well he admits he was there now well you know he admits he saw the gun now well he admits he was pissed off at somebody now see that that's that that puts a a big bucket of water on a flame of innocence so that's not the issue that's not the issue the only issues are Has the state proven each and every element of the offense beyond a reasonable doubt? So I I tell juries all the time, you should find this person not guilty, not because you think they're pure as a driven snow, but because the state has not proven each and every element of the offense beyond a reasonable doubt. And so I tell juries all the time, you may have a hunch a person is guilty. You may feel by preponderance of evidence the person is guilty you may feel by clear and convincing evidence the person is guilty. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Even if you are clearly convinced that man or woman is guilty, if you use that standard, you have no legal choice but to return a verdict of not guilty. Mm -hmm. Because proof beyond a reasonable doubt is the highest legal standard in the nation, in the nation. So if you're at at an arraignment, standard is very low, you know, probable cause. Well, did Mr. Mack probably do it? Yeah, he did. He's probably, okay, I'm going to bind it over, okay? You know, if a person is trying to have, the state is trying to remove somebody's parental rights, are, are you clearly convinced this person's parental rights ought to be terminated? Yes, that's clear and convincing. But none of that is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So my point is, the best tact and the only tact to use is never give up the presumption of innocence. And like I said, when, I, when I'm in closing argument to the jury, I remind them before this case started, all of you said, you presume this man or woman to be not guilty. You presume it. And I asked them, what's happened to change your mind? Mm. Attorney Mac, I want
5: to go back to something someone
0: said I'm going through. You guys i'm gonna to get to your questions um uh what was it it was hold on you guys this one right here so innocence is like an emotion whether or not whether not guilty would be based on data that is measurable by some metric standard
4: Attorney Matt Well no 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 innocence is not just an emotion it's 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 presumed innocence is a fact it's mm-hmm. a legal maxim it's a fact mm-hmm. it's a pillar upon which the criminal justice system is based on no it's not emotions emotions come and go see that's the problem with juries today they decide cases emotionally we heard so much in the media about this ax murderer or or somebody shot somebody five times in the head and we're not safe in the streets and we gotta do something to you know put these black devils away. That's emotion. No, no. The presumption of innocence is not emotional. It's not it it it's sterile. It's it's like a it's like a ladder. It it, it exists. Mm-hmm. It 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 so no, it's not emotional, but that ladder will stay standing there unless somebody knocks it over beyond a reasonable doubt. Right.
5: Can I ask a question? Go ahead, Attorney Mac. How how can we how can we protect our innocence all the way up until our trial? And what I mean by that is, by the time we get to our trial, we we've already been slandered through the news. We've already been drugged. The you know half half the community already knows that we're guilty before we even get the trial. So how can we deter? I mean. It, how, how can we stay out of the news? How, how can we have ourselves not broadcasted to the community before we even have a chance to be arraigned?
4: Excellent. Excellent question. Excellent question. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, in my decades of doing this line of work, one of the biggest problems my client has is their mouth, their mouth. OK, first and foremost. I tell people all the time, the first responders to your constitutional civil rights is not the prosecutor, it's not the trial judge, it's not the Supreme Court, it's the police officer. Mm -hmm. The police officer, okay? The person that you come in contact with. 99.9% of the time, your case is made or sunk by you opening your mouth by you thinking you can talk your way uh, out of a situation with Officer Good Cop who comes to rescue you from Officer Bad Cop, okay? (laughs) Okay, and the thing of it is, you have to understand something. Under the law, the United Supreme Court has said, it is okay for police to deceive you. It is okay to deceive you, all right? Now, they're not supposed to deceive you on a material fact, but what a material fact is, is something like drawing a line in the sand. It's impossible to define with with, with, with any certainty. So you've all seen the episodes of uh, Law and Order, SVU, you know, well, your buddy came in and he's told everything. Now it's a race to the prosecutor's office. You know, who's going to inform first? Oh, uh, uh, Kareem told you that? Oh, well, let me tell you what really happened. Well, see, see, see there you go. There you go. And see, so that's the first thing but your question is deeper than that because your question involves the first amendment itself the first amendment itself and the right to oppress and the right to to uh uh, free speech and you know it's very difficult to sue a prosecutor okay you know they've got uh, immunity up the behind immunity up the behind So what I'm saying is for statements and pretrial statements that are made by prosecutors, people with tremendous authority and and people listened to by statements that are made by chiefs of police, okay, with tremendous authority and listened to, okay, by the grieving mother who says this monster butchered my poor boy, you know, there's no way to stop that. There, There is no way to stop that. And you're right. A lot of times, people will come in on a jury panel. They've seen something on the news, particularly when it's race based, I might add, particularly when it's race based. And I'm talking about black people here in case y'all ain't figured that out, um, where they have an attitude about black people, particularly black men, I might add, as predatory, as virile, as uh, stalkers of white women. Uh, You know, these sorts of things predominate. And you say, well, you know, if a gorilla is loose in the jungle, he'll do any damn thing. So that's what we've got to overcome. So we're dealing with systemic racism, not just within the criminal justice system, we're dealing with systemic racism in the media itself, in the media mm-hmm. itself, on who they choose to cover and how they choose to cover. So, you know, the only thing we can do, man, is swing for the fences when we get our, our turn at bat. But everything you say is legitimate and uh, it's a hell of a mojo, man, it is.
0: Reverend Tia, you had a question. We ain't heard from you yet.
3: <laughs> well, I was I was really feeling this, you know, um, and, and I uh, I like what um, Alexandria just said that U.S. Supreme Court also said police are not obligated to protect people from harm. And, and, and I think this is this is the idea that's going on. In, um when talked about, you know, the media. Um, we have to understand that the language within the media is, is very important, that they purposely use uh, propagated language in society and in social media that, um, that really go against uh, people who are underserved, uh, minorities, um, and I don't like to, to use that word, but people of color, um, because the word minority is something that was contrived to further separate us. And, and to me, it, it makes people more um, accepting the role of a victim. I never say that I am a victim because I'm not. I believe that we are most powerful. I believe that we are at a time where people are waking up, people are coming together. And I'm going to stand on that even when some people are not. But it is important um, to to, under, to protect innocent or punish the guilty. This is what the question is. This is what's in the academic papers they ask. And this is, this is what they ask. Is it more important to protect innocent or punish the guilty? Now, how does that sound? When you put this question to people in society, now they're having to choose a side and and see we have to we have to begin to understand that in this dispensation people and media and people and leadership are constantly causing division and making it so that we have to choose a side this is the device nature, you know, and this is what I come against all the time. You have to know when you are being utilized as a pawn. So if they ask you, what is more important, honey? Do you want to protect the innocent or punish the guilty? And so if your answer is punish the guilty, then you you have just punished everybody. Oh, now going to prison because you could not stand and say, we want to protect the innocent. We should all want to protect the innocent. And if we really are protecting all innocent, then guilty, punishing guilty, that's just what will definitely happen.
5: L- l- but
0: that's
3: l- not l- what the goal is.
0: Go ahead, oh, 10
4: minutes. Yeah, yeah. See- you know, you know Tia you know God bless you my sister okay look first of all and everybody listen up please don't anybody let yourself get suckered into that narrative because they they're trying to make you have a false equivalency or a false um, determination that's that's a trap don't fall into it. the two are related you do them both at the same time. you are not guilty if each and every element of the offense is not proven beyond a reasonable doubt. When you uphold that standard and make the state meet that standard, you've already protected the innocent. You've already done it. Because I'm trying to explain the greatest thug, the greatest threat you have is not somebody on a corner with a switchblade or even a gun. The greatest threat to you is a government that is turned loose on you because you're not paying the man on the street corner with a gun to rob you. You are not paying the woman on the street corner with a beer bottle to hit you upside your head and take your wallet. You are not paying somebody to break in your house. But a state unleashed on you where prosecutorial misconduct is overlooked as harmless error, you are not allowing the government to violate you, to rape you. You are paying for the privilege of being raped. You understand? You're paying for the privilege of being raped. That's the difference here, folks. That's the difference. So any time that issue comes up about who, what do you want to do, protect the innocent or punish the guilty, we be sure that nobody is sent to prison unless they've been, can, been convicted by proof beyond any reasonable doubt. That's how we protect the innocent. that's how that's our first and fundamental step right there.
0: So attorney Mac or whoever want to take this question, Dion said in most cases of guilt, they will offer you a plea. Why is that? And if you think you are innocent and you go to trial, uh, you get more time. Go ahead, um, Thomas. Thomas,
5: you—we can't hear you. I'm sorry, I mute myself so I don't no background noise uh, filters in. But so I have a case out in Texas, um, Trent, Texas, of the the kid's name is Kevin Bowers. He was he was falsely arrested um, in a group arrest of a robbery. He walked in, and some teens walked into a little like a Dave and Buster's type place with a little game room, walked in right behind him, robbed the place, and um, and the police came in and arrested everybody that walked in at the same time for robbery. Now, Kevin Bowers has never been arrested in his life. He's worked his whole life since he was 15 years old. He just got a new job, and he was going out to celebrate his new job or whatnot, and this happened to him on August 16th. This man sat in jail, right? They gave him a $100,000 bond. He has been in jail and only talked to his attorney on the initial visit the first time, right? His attorney never went back out and talked to him since. Mm -hmm. This kid has has already attempted suicide. He's never been in this environment in his life, you know, And, and he is at the point, he was getting to the point, we got a new attorney on him now, but he was getting to the point where he said, man, if my attorney comes in with a plea right now, I'll take it. To answer your question, this plea bargain is is extortion. It's absolute extortion, and and these prosecutors, because of the immunity and the power that they have, they use this extortion by 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 locking people up in these horrendous environments, holding them on on this astronomical bail system when a person couldn't get out on ten thousand dollar bail, but they're slapping hundred thousand dollar on them, and and they're they're holding these people in there as as an extortive purpose because in my opinion they're trying to control the poor communities through felony conviction because you lose your voting rights you lose your gun rights and in order to get those restored you have to go in front of a judge to be approved for that so it's all about control at the end of the day history shows government is about control we can sit here and talk about division we can talk about all the, all the applications of division, but until we, the people, wake the hell up and understand what they're doing and stop selling drugs to each other, stop killing each other, stop committing crimes against each other, stop hating each other because of this person's darker than me or whatever, and come together and realize what these people have been trying to do since the inception. When I tried to explain to people that law came before crime, crime did not come first. These people created law, which then created the crime. Right? And and that is where this prison industrial system, this system spawned from. And and until the American citizen, your blue collar every day, I want this person locked up, he's a bad person. Until this person understands that law came before crime, they're never going to understand what we're sitting here talking about now.
0: Right.
4: I agree. I agree. You know. Uh, Can but... I make a statement, j Yeah,
0: go ahead, Tony, Matt, this
4: <laughs> see, No, no, I don't want to cut anybody off, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, and see, the thing of it is, is that part of the problem and my conversations tend to be Afrocentric, OK? And I don't apologize for that, OK? My conversation will stop being Afrocentric when race is no longer a factor in the holding down of people of color, OK? So as long as that dynamic of racism continues, my conversations will be Afrocentric. So the, when when people say, oh, get over it, stop talking about it, no, we got to keep talking about it because the problem is still here. right promise here but 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 part of it and i agree with what the gentleman said is that we have to learn to discipline and love ourselves okay love ourselves okay and because part of it is if you notice a lot of times when we've had people with mental health challenges all right where the police have been called it's like a family member doing a, doing the calling okay you know, you know Tyrone in here cutting up with a knife. Well, the police are not social workers. They're they're not therapists. They're not uh, 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 intervention experts. They are trained as soldiers, and a soldier's job is to kill. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And so what I'm saying is, is that when we start, you know, addressing ourselves, and I don't know if we've got to have. Uh, you know, the, the way the, the, the communities used to look out for themselves and, and watch out, you know, and stuff like that. We got we, we lost something. I, I don't know, we lost. Black people, we lost something, you know. And and I've said it before that black people are the most obliging people in America. The most obliging people in America. Willing to sacrifice the most to try to prove somebody who doesn't like you anyway that you love them and what they stand for and you want to be an American, you know. So we go to wars, we die disproportionately to other people in wars, okay. We come back, we face the greatest discrimination of other people, other than perhaps the the Native Americans, okay, you know, and yet and still. While we maintain our rights and our pride in America, we don't make America respect us. Okay, we really don't. We really don't. Okay. Detroit is the blackest city in America. Yet 17% of the people vote, you know, and they say we don't like the mayor, we don't do this. Well, did you vote? No. Well, okay. 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 So, you know, it it it, it it's part of self-hate, you know. And 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 when I look at at my people and how we can gloat and be happy seeing the demise of another Black person. Well, if you didn't do the, shouldn't you do the crime, If you don't want to do the time and that. You don't know that person's circumstance. You you, you don't know what happened in their life. You don't know that. So what you do is you stand in the company of people sneering and jeering and putting down other Black people, you know, and I, I just want to get very personal here. And my campaign for Washington County prosecutor I had more resistance and vitriol response from black people than whites. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Oh, you've been in the penitentiary. Who the hell you think you are, running for prosecutor, jailbird? You know, see, no, no white person had the courage to say that to me, but black people did. You know, black people did. You know, we've got to stop hating ourselves, okay? You know, and addressing people who truly want us dead. You know, and, and until we start loving ourselves, we can't expect other people to love us. You know, we really can't, but we shouldn't.
0: You're right, Tony Matt. You know, yeah. I, I hear it all the time, those narratives. We repeat those narratives. And so how can we um, get reformed and, you know, change if we are guilty our own selves of repeating narratives? Go ahead, um, who is that?
5: Well, the, the, the way, you know, <laughs> Like for me personally, you know, in, in my school of knowledge, my school of training that, that, that I've, I've pretty much taught myself in, in my research, I, I'm t- really trying to eliminate the word white and black from my vocabulary because the whole thing is a lie. The whole thing is a lie. And the more that we even use these words is the more the word itself is the division the word itself is the lie and when you go back throughout history through ancient texts right these people weren't describing each other using using black or white it just became like everything else people wanted efficiency they wanted shortcuts they wanted they wanted to label something to put it in a group and then when you go back and you research the history of how this lie even came into it to be it's so it's it's for me and it's it's just eliminating it altogether. the way that i look like you know yes black people are tired i can understand why a black person in front of me is is angry or doesn't trust me or doesn't want anything to do with me i understand that as as this this white person this american white person and therefore for me it's it's like man listen let me carry some weight for you let me help you because i understand the burdens that you and your family and your generations have been through, right? And this is this to me is how all of us really need to come together and understand each individual's plight of what they went through, and 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 just stop mimicking people. You know, half, half three quarters of this country is running around citing other people's information that they've never even researched. They just parrot things. The whole the whole country's gone mad. I mean, for real. Alexander,
0: yeah, Alexander. Um, yeah,
2: yeah you good? Uh, I was gonna say, um, thinking about um, race itself in America uh, and defining race, different categorization. You know, that's a social construct um, was created. Um, I know what's his name, um, Johann Blumenbach is who created, created, created the system of labels for different races. So Caucasian um, or calling Native Americans, redskins and um, no even African-American that all those things in um, Negro and, and those things were created by someone who is Caucasian who was not pro-black, was not pro any person of color. And um, that is part of why we're here today. Uh, Blackness is a diaspora. It is not uh, one set of things, and it is not one place. Um, And I personally believe in embracing um, the word um, black and being black and black excellence and um, versus African-American Um, Because not every black person is from Africa. Some are from Jamaica and other places. It's a diaspora. Um,
1: Yeah. Edward. I am going to take and try to stay on the issue of um, uh, um, this innocent um, concern because I know that most people, you know, most Americans, whether you uh, we incapable of uh, taking in materially uh, uh, speaking about race. Uh, you know, I, I took and paid particular attention um, during the protests this past summer. Um, most people were pulling down statues, rightfully so, of formal generals of, um, uh, of uh, um, Confederate Army that, you know, that was for the destruction of this nation and who were, you know, vile racists and uh, um, they were willing to pull their image down, but they wasn't willing to take that cross from around the neck. Not just simply the cross, but I'm talking about what's on that cross, an image of another human being that's quite different from you. In fact, it looked just like the human being that put you in slavery for the last several hundred years. Mm. You had no inclination to get rid of that blue eyes and blonde hair that you take and put up on your wall. So that tells me right there that you didn't have the guts to really take and change your environment because the most the most potent environment in America's culture that divide us all is the idea of another human being as a deity, as God. That uh, and one and for us as people of color, one that represents the image of the same person that they'll put his or her foot on your damn neck, you know. That's child abuse. If you got a child being raised in a house like that and you wonder why your child don't take and love him or herself, that's your form of child abuse right there that you got on your wall. And if you wonder why every ethnic group that comes to this this country, they start off somebody else, but not too long after they're here, they become white. They become white. Is a migration, not just to take and become Americans, but to become white Americans. Jews come here and they first, start, and then they are white Jews. Okay? Hispanics come here. They come here as Hispanics or so somebody from Latin, South, Central, and North America. They start off like that, but then later they define themselves as white. Everything about this culture is to tell you, you either white or black. You either with us or you against us. That message is there in this country. Most of us don't want to take and talk about that, okay? Most of us can't deal with that. We think it's an attack on our religion. We think it's an attack on our religion. But remember, your religion was racialized. You know, your religion was racialized. We're not talking about repudiating Christ. We ain't talking about his gospel because ain't nothing they do on the saying has anything to do with his gospel when you take and put forth an image of a human being. You know, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're addressing. This is not an attack on anybody's race. But I would like to because I know this conversation ain't gonna, we ain't gonna deal with that conversation um in a mature way. Okay, that's the biggest racial divide in this country is taking and putting an image of a human being supposedly as the divine. That that would separate us all, all the time, okay? Whether it's supposed to be the image of God, or God the son, or the baby, you know, it still divides us. We don't need an image of a person to be able to worship. That is an effort to take and present one race as a superior and the other one as an inferior. All the heavens are the, uh, all the... Uh, uh, um, occupants of heaven are white and so what is that telling you subliminally what is that telling you if all of the hosts of the heavens are white then who's down in there <laughs> who's in hell okay so but in any case you you really <laughs> please just stay away from that one because we, we probably didn't hit half of the audience click off because it's too emotional and, and, and hard and difficult for them to even deal with that
5: like (laughs) and and, but that's but that that's the problem though right that's the problem and that's because we're not getting these conversations out because people can't handle the conversation you know the the and i and i get it you know the first time i watched malcolm x right i couldn't get through the intro right the second time i watched it i got a little through the intro got a little into it and i'm like man i'm just not watching this this racist crap you know like why? Why? And it, it just the, the, the standard ignorance. But once I got through it the third time, right, I marveled at, at Spike Lee's uh, uh brilliance and what he did because if 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 I couldn't sit through that intro alone, then I had no business even watching the movie to understand who the man was to begin with, right? Because Spike Lee put the truth in your face. So it was it was me understanding and just being honest with with facts that's all it is is just be honest with the facts now when it comes to the racism and in the innocence and the guilty all of this plays a factor as well because you have Temujin Kinsu you have Temujin Kinsu who's been incarcerated for 40 years everybody in the world knows this guy is innocent why is he not out but yet these uh, you know these officials have about five or six black people that they string around in front of them talking about these are the people this this is the program that we're setting up this is what we're doing look at all the great things that we're doing and nobody seeing behind the doors of what is really going on when we have actual innocence and this is going on all over the nation again because at the end of the day it's all about control of the votes all these people care about is control of the votes that's right
3: that's right and you know um I want to chime in because it's really important that we look at history, world history as a whole. And if you really looked at history, if you knew your history, if you if you really just just go on Wikipedia and just look at the timeline and and what you see is the steady, the steady flow of of divisiveness used to annihilate people. And all the different, there's not just one kind of genocide going on here. There are all kinds of genocides all over the world. Look it up, mass genocide efforts to decrease populations. Just, I'm not talking about today, I'm talking about decades, centuries of annihilating people, of, of pitting one against the other. But see, when you know who you are, See, I can stand before you and I can say, oh yeah, I'm Ethiopian, why? Because I know my history. Now, I'm not just Ethiopian, okay? Now, check it out. I'm gonna go ahead and and, and for those of you who may not know, so I'm a little John, our heritage is Ethiopian. Northern Ethiopian, present-day Eritrea. Now, I have pictures of my great-grandmother and great-grandfather. Where were they? They were in South Carolina. How was it that my grandfather was labeled Negro, but his grandmother was white? How was that? Okay, so if you knew the history of of Native Americans, because my grandfather was pushed to South Carolina, the, those Carolinas those were for the darker natives and And my grandmother is extremely light and and they got married in Tennessee and she was Blackfoot. He was Jer- he was Cherokee. okay He was considered Cherokee, but if you look at this picture he just looks like an Ethiopian. So the word Negro did not come around till way late in the game. Black people didn't call, we. Oh, I don't even call myself that, but I'm just saying people of color did not call each other black. They, they, they were people of the land. They were people of the land. And so what happened was when you look at the term mulatto, when did the first term mulatto come out? It came out because people who had traveled in from Europe or whatever had mated with Native women, and I'm using the word mate lightly. Okay, so the lighter ones, they started to divide the natives according to color. So don't tell me to go home to Africa. Yeah, some of my people are Ethiopian. Yeah, but some of my people were already here. So when you know this, then sometimes that person who they consider white, if you look at the little johns, you see all colors. You see all colors. Because if if two of them got together, sometimes that person came out really light. I can't hate nobody. But what I will not do is allow ignorance to lead. See, it's just a divisive measure that we accept it and we went along with it and we carried the narrative. But when we stop it ourselves, when we stop it and when we decide to get some knowledge, read your history and not just the history that's given to you, go back through the books, check out the maps, see how the maps changed, see how the labels changed, You think they're getting rid of books today? Hmm. You think they didn't get rid of books before? (laughs) You think they didn't change dictionaries before? You don't think they didn't change statues before? It's time for us to wake up and make a decision today and say, I'm going to stand for righteousness. I don't care what color you are, but when it comes to the wrongfully convicted, these are people who are all underserved. And if you are not taking a stand for righteousness, you can't walk with me.
5: Yeah. Amen. Power. I'm, and the power in that right there in itself is is is, again, knowledge. The woman is telling us, understand history. And you'll know that this is classism. It has nothing to do with race. We are making it race because they have devised it. So it looks that way, but the whole scheme is classism. It's it's always about. It's always been about the poor working to keep the rich rich. That's what it always has been. That's what it has always been. Racism is new. This stuff is only five, six, seven, eight hundred years old. This is why I say my daughter's mixed, and and and. And she she used to call herself African American, and, and like the woman I said, no, baby, no. If anything, you call yourself Black one because you're not you're not African. You know what I mean? And but most importantly, right? You're not a slash. If you notice, I'm not I'm not European American. I'm not German American. You know what I mean? I'm just American. But yet you have Cuban Americans, you have Latino Americans, you have African Americans. Again, it is all of the implementations of division that they put in in every aspect to keep us divided. This is is chess. This is what I'm trying to get our communities to understand. It is classism. If we're going to tear down this prison industrial system, we have to realize that this is this is slavery that they're putting the poor class into. It just so happens that major- because of the racial aspect of American history, majority of black people are in the poor communities so that they're attacking the poor communities. Majority of the black people are going to be in prison. You know, I was explaining to somebody the other day. Let me just tell this and, and I'll step aside because I know I've been taking a minute. But what what I'm seeing, what I'm seeing is that when we're born, we're born into debt. These people have created such a national debt. Right we're born into debt, that's slavery in itself, we're born into slavery, right? We're born into debt, we're given this zip codes, we're given social security numbers, we're given birth certificates. And the government had devised a plan, right? Created this system that if it feels that this individual is not going to contribute his life, his life's money towards this national debt, we can incarcerate this individual and get more out of him Towards this debt than he would produce as a free person. More than likely, he will end up costing more money than he would make through his lifetime. But if we incarcerate him, we can gener- that slave labor, we can generate so much money out of that individual. And this is what they're doing across America.
1: If if I may take it, um, um Go ahead. one of one of the worst things that we are doing, like say here in the state of Michigan. The Upper Peninsula is uh, its economy. I guess Tookie may mentioned early on about Detroit, where Detroit used to have this bustling economy, and it gave birth to this nation's. Uh, but industry is gone. Uh, there were multiple factors that uh, resulted into the, the auto industry taking and in its decline. Um, with the other nations um, beginning to manufacture cars and the different materials that we were using to manufacture cars, from steel to, to uh, uh, aluminum and plastic, all this changed the dynamics of the manufacturing of cars. Other nations having um, different uh, 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 um, economies and the they, uh, uh, cost of living being different, it changed who were the suppliers and the uh, uh, um, the the uh, um the consumers, mm-hmm. um, but here in Michigan, as a result of a lot of this, Whedon took and substitute a formula that southern whites had to take and sustain their economy, and that was to rely and insist on using black people as a means of exploitation. They embedded that and grind that in the u.s constitution that's in the clause even though supposedly they lost the war they were able to take and get that clause in the 13th amendment except those who were uh who are lawfully convicted and sentenced. you know and we we kind of shamelessly celebrate the top half of that 13th amendment without making mention of that clause but any competent attorney would tell you read the clause read the clause anytime you got a constitution you you know you got a contract you read the clause in the contract but we take and we don't even teach it in school some people are shocked to even know when we tell them it's in the 13th amendment there's a clause in there that talks about maintaining a person's servitude if they are convicted in sickness. And this became the vehicle of why we convicted sickness people. It, race, it racialized our judicial process, our criminal, so-called criminal justice um, process, process, and taking and having that there. That's why it's so important to advocate a and not just to take and be prosecuted by politicians to get our vote to talk about it. It has to be changed to take and heal this nation. Um, One of the things that I was trying to get to is that the relationship that we have here in Michigan, you got a whole population in the UP. The only relationship that they have with Black people is that they come up there and change. How could that be good for our state? Is one half of the state, the only time and the only interaction they have with Black people is that they come to the UP, they come up to the Europe uh, on the Upper Peninsula in chain, you know, with, with leg irons and belly irons, that's the only way they see them. We, the first African-American director of the Department of Correction, he had the nerve to brag about this. He's the director of the MDOC, and he was bragging that we are the largest employer in the UP. And he's true, the MDOC is the largest employer in the UP, but that's nothing for African Americans to be proud of because the their, their item is African Americans. Anytime we begin to talk about prison abolition and reform, they're not concerned with the harm that this system is causing us. They're concerned about their jobs. They can give a damn that there's no crime. They want you to find some crime. They want you to create some crime. Create those laws that take and, like my man say, those laws that take and say that whatever that guy doing is a crime to give us that population. This is the relationship, the shameful relationship that we have with each other in the state of Michigan, blacks and whites. We had a relationship that they are demanding to be employed by us. And even African-Americans who work in our criminal justice system, they have become brainwashed to it. If they run for office, they're thinking about how many more jobs I can create around what we're doing in this industry. They ain't thinking about, I need to stop this stuff. It's taking and breaking up the families and the communities that I live in. You know, we, we have a disproportionate women in the African American community in terms of those who are free and those who are captive. Our situation looks just like apartheid, okay. particularly before Nelson Mandela came out of prison in South Africa, where all of the women were living on plantations in South Africa, and the men were in prison. We have the same situation here in the United States, and particularly here in Michigan. We have an apartheid. We have an apartheid. Mm -hmm. We have blacks that live predominantly in, in, in the Detroit area, and the households are predominantly ran and operated by black women. White men are still afraid to take and hide black men in their in their industries, in their place of businesses, and their workplaces, so they hire our black women. And it continues to create a damn division between us. And then we have to deal with the many different philosophies and ideologies that they come up with and positionality in terms of their sexualities. We are dealing with many of the white ideas about sexuality where our women are now telling us they're born that way. You know, that um, I'm this particular orientation. Well, we don't even have, in, in terms of the proportion, we're not talking about the larger population. We're talking about this smaller group of African Americans. So. Even if we were to come home from prison today, there is a distance now that's created, that's been created by white people and black people's communities. You know, our sexualities don't even match up no more. Daddy come home to to mama's babies is is a different situation. Mama, Mama gone with somebody else now. She's gone with a member of her own sex, just like you were doing in the penitentiary. You know, so all of this stuff, prison has an effect on all of this. And we are, we are continuously taking and closing our eyes to this reality. I tried to share this with, with social work where everybody was talking about having been born that way. And I took and tried to weigh in. I meant no harm to anybody. I meant to not to cause anybody harm. But I reminded them, not everybody arrived at this experience the same way. There are people here in the state prison because they were molested and raped by their own parents, you know, and they growed up in that condition. They growed up, you know, rebuking that other member, the opposite sex, because the opposite sex that abused them was their own parents, you know, and sometimes you have to remind people that when they want to take and feel themselves and say, oh, I was really born this way. Well, how about the child that was molested by the priest? How about the child that was uh, um, that was abused by the uh, person in a law enforcement uniform? How about the person that was abused by his teacher, by his parent, by his uncle, by his grandfather? These are social issues that we can't take and just sweep under the rug by claiming that somehow we were born this way. How about you know you want to, Then that takes away from me to be able to speak about some of the social harms that exist. In our, in our society. It tells me that I can't share my lived experience. I can't tell you how I got there or how I experienced it, you know? And when I say me, I'm talking about hundreds or thousands of people that live in our society that have different experiences as to how they got to where they are.
3: I, I, like, I like what, um, what, Charity just posted and said, um, "Prisons do not disappear social problems. They disappear human beings, homelessness, unemployment, drug addiction, mental illness, and illiteracy. And, and see these these problems, like um, Baraka just said, you know, are continue even in prison. So people are not there's no rehabilitation. There's no uh, means to, to successful recovery from, um, mental illness. Um, they actually, you know, in, in terms of mental health, um, um, psychologists and, and, mental health and behavioral workers are now stating, you know, that recovery is a possibility. We talk about recovery. Um, and, but in the prison behind those those walls. And they tell you that people come out worse than what they went in. And um, Thomas, I just want to just mention, um, you were talking about Texas and I had an opportunity to go to Texas and um, do some ministry in one of the youth prisons while well, it was the youth detention um, and thousands of youth um, behind bars in Texas. And, uh, you know, Texas, of course, is is the largest the largest prison system. Um seventeen state jails, 14 um, private contractors, 16 counties throughout the state. And, and it's 220, over 225 million that goes to pay for the payroll for for Texas prisons. Uh, you know, and the thing about what people don't understand is when I went there, the the young, I, I did a basketball camp there. And um, did a, did a one-day camp, probably the, it, not probably, it was the best basketball camp I ever did in my life with those young boys. Sad to say, most of them were waiting to age out from there and go directly to prison as an adult. And this is what people don't understand. I was able to witness that directly. Amen. And you know, wanted to talk to, you know, some of them I said, well, when are you getting out? You know, was hoping I would hear. And, and most of them were saying, no, we're gonna be here a long time. But if I get out, you think I can play when I get out? These young boys, under eighteen. We're just there, thousands waiting. <laughs>
5: this, is, this is this is this is the system. Yeah. This is the system. This is this is a prison industrial system. And I I don't know how else to put it. You know, it's it's this is slavery. It's a design. This is why I quit saying that the system is broken. This is why I changed my whole narrative. I don't have my 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 followers, my you know, my loyalists out with signs in, in front of buildings and things like that. Because I, I understand the complexity of what we're dealing with now. You know, we have to go in and rewrite the Thirteenth Amendment off the gate, out of the rip. Right? We have to take out the the whole part about slavery. <coughs> But it'll never happen.
0: Yeah, that was just on on the ballot in some states. I think uh, for for this past election, four states um, in the United States got rid of slavery, and I think Louisiana voted against it. But I know we having these these conversations, and they're very important because they're eye openers. They're eye openers to the system. And, and even when we're talking about the basis where we can't hear about a uh, guilty, uh, not guilty versus innocence, we really had to understand this is why we're here on Fridays at Six O'Clock, because we really had to understand what we're dealing with. It's just not, it's, it's more than being innocent. You have to do the work to prove yourself not guilty. And so that's why I wanted us to talk about this. That's why I wanted to, Attorney Matt to really clear, make it clear to us, that is, you know, just when you're the person against the entire, versus the entire state of Michigan. That means mm-hmm. everything that Michigan has is against
4: you. Right. Well, the and, whole the whole and pro- the federal and the federal government. Don't 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 forget that. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, everybody, and the federal government, Mm -hmm. because they've got task forces that are state and federal, you understand? State and federal. Uh, The Washtenaw County prosecutor has got access to the most advanced crime lab in the state of Michigan, okay? The Michigan State Police Crime Lab is the most advanced crime lab in the state, in the state, all right? And they've got access to the federal government, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So, yeah, excuse me, dear love. Yeah, I just had to say that. And mm-hmm. the right. the federal government, the full resource of the federal government, it's no longer Hugo Mack versus John Smith. It's actually the United States and its subsection, the state of Michigan, against Hugo Mack. That's what it is. Right,
0: right. So it's bigger than, it, the whole process is bigger than whether you're innocent. Cause you guys- the whole, Go
5: the ahead. whole process is unconstitutional. Well, the whole process cool. is unconstitutional. I'm, I'm told that I'm presumed innocent until guilty, but the process doesn't show that right. because the process I- has already made me guilty before I even get in exactly. to say I'm innocent or guilty. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. and again, that is by design. One thing I've learned about these people, they all they all they are about are pacification. That's all the 13th Amendment was about, was about pacification. They didn't want to free the slaves. They wanted to pacify the people because of the taxation that was going on. They were trying to tax the South on the free labor that they were getting on all their stuff coming out of the South. They wouldn't have it. It was over money. It was over taxes. And this man knew that he had to get these people to stop fighting and killing each other and get them back to work. What do the people want? we wanna end slavery. Okay, well, let's write this up and let's call it uh, incarceration now, conviction, right? And then this is where all your Jim, Jim Crow laws came from. So
0: well, that, that's a, uh, the whole thing was the found, that was the foundation for the police. You
5: know? Right, so it was me understanding that. This is why I'll never commit another crime again because now I understand what crime is. They want me committing crime. This is what I'm trying to explain to the youth out here, the drug dealers, the gang bangers. They want you doing this. You think you're bucking the system, but you're doing exactly what they want you to do. Because like Tony Montana said, they need the bad guy. Because with all due respect to Mr. You know, Mr. Ward, but without me, there would be no him. There would be no system. They need me to put me up in front of the cameras to say, I'm the bad guy. This is why we need prisons. This is why we need police for people like this. So, if I don't allow myself to be that puppet, then who are they going to use? This is what I'm trying to get the youth to understand. Don't be these people's puppet. They need you to put you on cops, they need you in the cells so they can show you going crazy in the cells. They need you doing these things so that they can get all this funding in for the police, they can build all of these prisons, spend all of this money. Where does all this money go? All the money that these prisons are generating each year, where does it go? I've never heard anybody audit. I've never heard no, no financial statements. Where, where is these billions and billions and billions of dollars going?
0: It's making people rich. <laughs> That's where it's going. Still the
3: stock you, market, bro. You, <laughs> you know what?
5: I've. You I, know what? I just had this thought before I come on the show, and I'm glad it came back to me. Right, we noticed right when when Joe Biden signed off on the private prison thing, which is a farce, right? They're all private prisons it's all it's all it's all for profit prisons. but when when he did that, I noticed that corporations, big companies, started moving their businesses overseas to the to the slave laborers overseas. A lot of these businesses started. Then going overseas when these prisons started shutting down, just a coincidence I saw, and I don't believe in coincidences. But sure.
1: if if I may uh, take and make mention, uh, and first uh, I really appreciate particularly the show started off. I mean, excellent. I like um, the comments that everyone made, and uh, um, uh, Mac, you did an excellent job in um, illustrating to us. Um, uh, um about innocence and, and not taking and you know that it's not relevant. Um but I do want to take and make mention um the the, the charges that prosecutors bring you know it it undermines the presumption of innocence and it not only undermines the presumption of innocence it takes and um this uncontrolled power that prosecutors have is an animal that undermines our whole judicial system and but the state is the state has never called itself on it you know it is a violation of the constitution itself and um, a lot of people don't like to take and think that the government is doing something that violates its own constitution uh will you know tell native americans that but in any case mm-hmm when a prosecutor can take and bring charges and then sit down and negotiate the terms of a plea that's a conflict of interest there's a conflict of interest and now and so and it also gives the prosecutor the incentive to take and exaggerate the actual crime that's been committed it creates the practice of bringing charges that Uh, vertical and horizontal, okay? And so you wind up overcharged, you know, you wind up overcharged only with the prosecutor having the intent to force your defense to come to the table. Now, remind you, the defense is already under budget, okay? Most defense, and when I say the defense, we're talking about the accused um, representation. Most public servants that are taking cases for uh, um, indigent persons, people without money, are underfunded from the very beginning. The prosecutor's office is always more funded than they are. They take their funds and they 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 take and farther disadvantage the defense by overcharging the person. So instead of us even talking about the actual facts of the case and the actual crime, actual crime, we are talking about, we are only dealing with the, the exaggeration, okay? It's like going into a sales room with, with, with a salesperson that's trying to sell you a car. This person then took and marked up the price of the manufacturer, way beyond what the manufacturer then recommended that the car Be even sold. And this person interferes with the proper, you know, you know, sale and manufacturing of automobiles because of what he's doing at the dealership. That's not to take and put a black eye on the ship. But what I'm trying to point out to you is how this worked and harm that it caused. Okay, you overcharge a person, and then the other facts of that is, or the effects of it is, is that the, the the police. That took the report is now expected to act in, co- in 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 concert with the prosecutor. The prosecutor then exaggerated the charge, so the 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 uh, um the reporting officers now have to act in concert with the prosecutor. And then it doesn't stop there. The witnesses, who are the victims in the case, who reported the crime to the police also have to take and do the same thing they're each told by the prosecutor to tell the police well this is what we're going to have to do to take and try to avert a long trial so we need you not to take and undermine you know this accusation and you need to let your witnesses know that so now we got the prosecutor exaggerating you got the police exaggerating and then you got the witnesses exaggerating and you have the state given all of this a stamp. And when I say the state, I'm talking about our appellate courts who have yet to take and agree that guilty plea practices in this country is not unconstitutional. It is unconstitutional. It's not unconstitutional for two parties to get together and to negotiate um, an agreement, you know, a resolution. That ain't what I'm saying, but I'm saying, we have evidence, when you see the number of people that wind up in prison, 94 to 97% of those who are, are arrested and convicted, 94 to 97% is evidence of coercion. It's evidence of government abuse. And mm-hmm. this is where innocence, the perception of innocence is even lost in that. It can reinforce the, the cliche, and create the bias that if they, if the police arrested you, you had to do it, you had to commit the crime. Evidence of it is in these guilty pleas. It reflects it. Ninety-four to ninety-seven percent are pleading guilty. Okay, so that's evidence. We ain't talking about the ones that are still found guilty because the attorney is overburdened. With not just simply contesting what should have been the proper evidence in the case, but they have to also hold the prosecutor's feet to those evidence that they brought in in assess of that. They can arrest a person for felony murder. It means hmm. that there was an underlying felony. So why in the hell you you then took and charge them with armed robbery, bank robbery? <laughs> those are the felonies that's what constitute felony murder. You don't have to charge him with that. You only can argue that. You only have to argue that in theory, but they throw all the charges in as well so as to make it difficult for the jury to take and rationalize that the person could be innocent of having committed a particular crime. They throw so many at them that the jury is overwhelmed to say, this person had to do something. We're going through, you know, you become desensitized once you begin to read all of those laws and you hear all of these accusations it just wear you down. And then the prosecutor got a little game they play. One of the things I used to do as a jailhouse attorney, I used to ask um, the guys that would ask me to look at their case. I said, bring me your jury verdict form. You should always do that, uh, Matt. You should always ask the C and pay very close attention to the jury verdict form. They do this somatic game. They first start off with the first charge and they say guilty or not guilty, guilty or not guilty, or they just list the underlining offense, but they never say not guilty anymore on the underlining offense. So as to suggest, if if he or she is not guilty for the primary offense, then he or she is guilty for one of these lesser offenses. So they never use the word not guilty anymore when they let, line up the underlying offense. I used to find multiple cases like this. And they have the nerve to say, if it wasn't raised earlier, is a procedural argument. It's not a procedural argument. This fact is always supposed to be put forth to a jury. It's always supposed to be put forth to the jury. The jury is the, is the, is the determined factor of your innocence and guilt, and if the if the question is not placed before them properly, is a faulty verdict, and a faulty verdict is unconstitutional, is not a procedural issue, and they didn't reduce that to a procedural issue in in, in the state of Michigan and, and, and quite possibly in many other places
3: of the country. Well, that's, wow, that's why that, I love. Yeah, that good. that's good. Go ahead, Thomas.
5: Well, I was gonna. I was just gonna say that's why I love about Daryl Brooks trial you know because out of all of that at the end of it he brought up the fact that jury nullification right like the jury can not even be notified that they have the power of nullification that is stricken from the jury so why is the jury not privy to the power that they hold jurors don't even understand why the courtroom rise for them they have no clue they have no clue why even the judge stands for this person. They have no understanding that they are the most powerful entity in that courtroom. And that's why everybody rises for them. Why is the jury not allowed to know that?
3: Attorney Mack, you want to talk about that? The,
4: the, the well, jury. And,
5: and, and, Okay, well,
4: f- first of all, I want to be sure for the benefit of the people that are listening, understanding mm-hmm. what jury nullification okay. is. Uh, jury notification is where the jury can decide the, the, the verdict based outside what the judge tells them the law is. I mean I mean for example, let's say you have a person that is accused of of murder okay of murder okay and the state puts on its case you know and the 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 defense attorney says, well, you know, this is a really good kid. Don't send this person to prison. Maybe the state has proven this person guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, but don't send them to prison because they had a hard life. They was abused by mama, uh, you know, abandoned by daddy, and so in the state of Michigan, jury nullification is legal. I've been warned not to not to even fringe. On that, you know, because uh, in in my arguments with the jury, I talk about fundamental justice, and you know, the judges I've been kind of watching on county said, "Okay, Mr. Mac, you can talk about fundamental justice, but don't get on that thing about justice says that they should acquit this person even though they feel he's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt." So, you know, uh, and 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 really, the theory behind that is actually a good one, because you you don't want for example, a black man in the South being convicted because of the color of his skin. In other words, if the state has not proven—I'm just using black—beyond a reasonable doubt, you know, you know, you've all seen the movie *To Kill a Mockingbird*. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying? That mm-hmm. is a clear case of jury nullification. Okay, okay, they didn't prove every element of rape in that in that case. That girl was a terrible witness, okay and uh, but but they convicted that man anyway because of, of the color of his skin and and, and the time. so uh, you know anything can be abused. any good intention thing can, can be abused.
5: But what what Mr. Edward was saying right is is I, I don't even know I don't even know if you can put it in words. that is the fundamental That is the key fundamental aspect of what people have to understand when it comes to this prison industrial system is exactly what that man laid out, right? Because that is the scheme. That is where it all begins at. And what I'm trying to fight for when I get into the room with these representatives, they all want to shut me down. They won't even come into the room with me anymore because I don't want to talk about good time. I don't want to talk about parole. I don't want to talk about any of these things that these people already have these convictions. I want to stop people from getting convictions. And that is where the conversation changes because some of my, as as Charity keeps asking, some of my solutions are, we're going to strip some of this immunity off you, Mr. Prosecutor, and we're going to start holding you accountable for all these charges you're putting on me. So if you slap 15 charges on me and I'm found guilty on not 10 of them, then I'm coming at you for those ones that I'm found not guilty of because of the, the detriment that it put me in. And that's going to make these these prosecutors think twice about that overcharging, because now they're going to be held responsible to prove these charges that they're putting on people. Not that the, the, that Mr. Mack has to disprove them, but I have to prove them. That is the presumption of innocence. I'm putting a charge on somebody that I have to prove. You know what I mean? That's that is to me. That is what the justice system is supposed to be about. Not that I'm gonna slap 20 charges on you and you have to prove that you're not guilty on all 20 of them. And then I'm gonna come to you later and say, you know what, let's scratch 15 of these, take this plea right now, and we'll just be done with it. Who's not gonna take that? Again, that's extortion.
1: Right. Go ahead, Edwin. And and, J-Love, you know, what we're talking about actually happened to an attorney here in the state of Michigan. Uh, He was charged with over 20-plus crimes. But he wound up getting acquitted for every last one of them. And the way he done that was, is that he understood the system. He had the money to do it. The rest of us don't have that kind of money. He took and went, began to take and buy um, media time and commercials, and he took and changed the image that he knew the prosecutor was going to use to take and convict and sentence him. So he changed his image in the media. He tried to shut him down with his commercials and everything. The judge, hey, that's his his right. That's his freedom. As long as he don't make reference to this case and these charges. So he knew exactly what he was doing. In fact, he went in saying, hey, I actually committed what they said I did. But other people's done it and they never prosecuted them. This is a selected prosecution that that was jeffrey fighter it was the most the single most expensive trial in the state of michigan no one has spent that much amount of money on a criminal prosecution than he had to defend himself and no one had took and won against that many darn charges this man had you know we're not talking about a dozen there was more than two dozen charges against the man, and he won all of them. They said that he gave money to one of the presidential candidates. And he said, yeah, i done it. He said, but I ain't the only one that done that. You know, somebody that worked in his law office, took, I believe went and, um, was disgruntled and went to um, disclose it and saying that, hey, all of us was giving money and we was told to take this money and to give it to the candidate. <laughs> but it all came from this one person, you know? And so the prosecutors and them brought charges on him that reflected that, but mm-hmm. he won those cases because as an attorney, he understood it. And he understood what the only thing that you can win with this is one, you got to deal with the cultural biases that already is delivered through our media and you have to take, you have to take and um, spend money. We don't have that. We don't have the means as an individual person, but this is what we're doing as activists. We are taking and trying to change the narrative and that's right. what very successfully. We need to change the narrative. And one of the narratives is that we have to be concerned about who we elect locally that that Ooh. affects our prison population yes okay? that yes. affects our prison population who we affect locally we got more people that that recidivate in county jails than do state prisons but we never talk about the recidivism rate in county jails we only talk about the recidivism rate in state prisons mm-hmm. you know but there is a larger recidivism rate of people going in and out, the same people going in and out of the county jail. If we were to correct that, which deals with social issues, because the people that are coming and going in and out of the county jail have substance use uh, uh, um, uh, um, uh, problems, there are those that are homeless, there are those that are un- underemployed or unemployed. There are those that who are homeless, you know, who live out on the street, okay? These are the type of people that come and go in and out of the county jail. They should never be in that space anyway. They should never be there. They represent social issues that we have legitimized to be prosecuted. Mm-hmm. County jails, mm-hmm. like in Detroit, we built a new county jail off the backs of people that the legislator had never took and approved to be in that county jail. So yes, we need attorneys and law firms like the Detroit Justice Center, that is what they consider themselves to be movement attorneys, where they are willing to give their legal expertise to organizations and movements to take and bring about the changes that you advocate for. The changes that you were pushing to make real, like you guys came on and you talked about this green light thing in the shop spotter. The Detroit Justice Center recently filed a lawsuit, probably within the last 24, 48 hours. Yeah. Lawsuit against the city of Detroit. Said that the police never showed any evidence of how, why this thing is even valid or relevant or how it would work. And they supposed to have been given a public hearing to do this. And they never done it, but now all the money is being spent, you know, so yes, we can change the narrative. We allow sheriffs to create conditions in county jails for people who are presumed to be innocent. Pretrial detainees, we endorse them to create environments in a county jail worse than in a state prison, and we have convicted felons in prison. Mm-hmm. But people are assumed to be innocent in the county jail. And a judge has to have the damn nerve to say, did anybody incurs you, uh, coerce you when you took your plea? <laughs> did you not see the conditions over in the damn county jail? Do you not know what those conditions are? Those conditions are coercive in themselves. And so how could you not say that guilty pleas do not violate our Constitution? You know, so these are the type of things, and we do, we put too much damn tension on the front door of the judicial system. We don't put all these procedural protections and so forth, but we ignore the back door. Even after the person does serve his or her time and come home, we validate the person continuously being, you know, his or her autonomy, you know, their self choice, being governed by the state for two or four years. We give them the right for this parole system. They tell you, you can't have this kind of job. You can't live, you gotta put a tether on your foot. So we looking at the front door, but we ignore this back door. And what that does is, when the state continue to take and control you after you done served the punishment for the crime that you supposedly done created, they did continue to take and govern you after you were released from prison. So that two years that you're on parole, it, de- it demoralized you to where you are now in a, you in a, 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 a what we call a, 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 a-
5: hamster wheel. You
1: slow down, you, you, you know, and so what happens is at that point, you never get anything did. Mm-hmm. You never realize anything else again after having been controlled for two years then this should be part of the proportionality of sentencing attorneys should be bringing this up to the court they say look my client is going to be on parole but even after he's out of off parole that record is going to follow him we got to quit allowing judges to say well that's part he shouldn't commit the crime no it's still part of a collective punishment It's still part of a collective punishment if you can't buy a home, if you can't buy a car, if you can't get a damn job, if you can't get health care, if you can't go to school and father your life, if you cannot take and and, and be a citizen again, your rights of a citizen is forever reduced it. And attorneys have to start taking an argument to courts and saying that this should be part of the proportionality of sentencing. You shouldn't just be looking at the front end. You should look at the back end. You should put somebody on the stand that have been in prison and got out of prison and then went through the effects of taking and trying to return back home and have him to put on the record or her on the record of what their lives look like and then use that as an argument in the felony court. If they get tired, don't you get tired. Continue to drive it home. Attorneys have to take and find some creativity that's lost today and that's why we need social workers that's why we need people that know the effects of these uh things that we are doing and thank you again I apologize thank
0: you so attorney Matt yeah we getting ready to leave uh this has been a great conversation (laughs) I appreciate every one of you guys for joining me today and everyone who's been viewing I hope you guys have shared this attorney Matt what do you want to leave us with before you go
4: well the thing of it is is this um what baraka said is so true and see that's why we have to take advantage of people that run for office who have that kind of experience okay you have to start injecting into the system just like uh an infusion of blood people that have been there, people that know what it's like. And that's why I applaud any prosecutor who wants to be progressive enough to open up their office to people with a criminal justice experience. You need these people as advisors, as counselors, as investigators, as conviction integrity and expungement unit Uh, personnel, you need that, and I want you to understand something. You talk about some wrong, remember, I deal with this dynamic every day. As an attorney, I can pick a jury, but as a person with a criminal justice experience, I cannot sit on one, okay? So we've got that baked into the cake in the state of Michigan. So when we talk about social justice movements, the the things we need to be targeting, We need to stop the barrier from people with a criminal justice experience from sitting on these juries, you understand? Stop it, stop it, stop it, okay? So we will continue to highlight the hypocrisy. We will continue to highlight the systemic racism. We will continue to highlight the systemic classism as long as it exists and as long as God gives us the ability to breathe and talk. So y'all keep swinging for the fences. Uh, You know, I love you, God bless y'all, you know, and uh, it ain't over till we win, amen. Amen, (laughs) amen. That's the rule.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I wanna leave us with this quote that I found, our world is which, in which justice is accidental and innocence, no protection. And I want to thank everyone for joining us. Um, I also want to add that our Justice Warriors, who just recently passed away, um, Earl um, Burton, his service, he had a um, visitation today. His service is tomorrow for those who want to attend. Um, This is the information I will post it on the Justice for Gerard page as well. And also the information for Danny, Danny Jones, his services is going to be also posted on the page. We want to send love and um, condolences to the families and everyone who are friends and um, advocates and everyone who are connected with them. And um, if we don't have anything else, Robert
3: This was just such a powerful, powerful show tonight. Um, and it's not a, a conversation. I can't even say it's a show because this is not rehearsed. Um, but I do want to just admonish well, help to lift up people and let them know that the power is still within you. And right. get the knowledge. Get all mm-hmm. the knowledge. I know you've gotten a lot of information tonight. Get knowledge about yourself too. Nice. and. Be knowledgeable when you speak so mm-hmm. that you are speaking truth and realize the oneness that is existing with everybody mm-hmm. and that oneness is more powerful than us being separated. And we have That's more right. that is alike than we have that is different. Mm-hmm. And if we can stand right. upon these truths and stand upon righteousness, we win. You yes. already
5: will. That's what I would tell you. And Thomas. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, Miss J Love, for, for having me on the show. Thank you for this, this powerful discussion. I love being part of discussions like this. Um, but my message is is just people like if we don't come together on one thing, right? Just one thing and 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 show that we have the power. Take take what Take what happened with the truckers out in Colorado. I always use this example. Look what those truckers did when they sentenced that man to 110 years. right? What we witnessed was the power of what unity can do. When those truckers shut down, they took a hundred years off this man's sentence six months later. I've never seen anything like it in my life, but those people knew. They had to get those truckers back to work when we come together we we're the boss we're the boss that's that's what i leave we have to unite
0: yes yeah, like what sam says all the time when we organize we win so thank you thomas thank so you great um that you join us we appreciate you and for everyone we'll see you next week 6 p.m. Turning a moment into a movement. And can I, I
1: share some with Mac before we go?
0: Oh yeah, go ahead.
1: Hey, Mac, I took and submit those applications to at least six law schools um yesterday. Okay, so <laughs> I'm, 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 give me three years and I'm gonna be pushing hey. around in the courtroom, man.
4: <laughs> hey, man, look here, hey. Speed, hey, speed it up, brother. I don't know how much longer I can last out here, man. All right. All
5: right.
0: <laughs> Have a great weekend, everyone. All right. Hey. All, my love to Danny and uh, uh, okay.
1: all another brother, both of them. Both of them oh, are my yeah.
0: brother. Good night, everyone.
4: God bless y'all.